Welcome to Piedmont Arts. I'm Rachel Stewart. As we head into a new performance season during the pandemic, orchestras everywhere are adapting to the new limitations they face as purveyors of live concerts. The Winston-Salem Symphony is no exception, of course, and they have reimagined their offerings in some pretty interesting ways. And I'm joined today by music director Timothy Redman to talk about what's new for the 2020-21 season. So, Tim, thanks for joining us today. And uh, it's good Thank to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me. Great. So before we talk about how you've adapted, I'm curious as to what went through your mind when it first became obvious that in-person live concerts were no longer going to be possible like last spring. And of course, you work with orchestras around the world, not just the Winston-Salem Symphony. What did you think? It's kind of a blow, really. Oh, it really is. And um, I was talking to a colleague who runs a concert hall and she defined it brilliantly. She said it took her such a long time to accept the fact that she was actually going to have to cancel a performance. It goes against the grain in every way. From the moment you start playing as a child, you are used to the show goes on is the motto. And you just make it happen. And the fact that we knew that we couldn't that really took some thinking about and, and, and adapting to. Well, I think it's it's been so interesting to sort of look on from the outside at all of these performing arts groups and see what they're doing. And, and there's some really creative things that people have come up with in relatively short time, I'd say. Why don't you talk about some of the things that you guys have come up with and what you're planning to do in Winston-Salem in the coming year? Yeah, well... I said the show must go on and that motto kind of drives us in, in every way. And so almost immediately we started thinking, well, how can we rearrange what we're doing? Because at the beginning, we didn't know how long everything was going to be shut down. So we, we tried rescheduling certain performances. But pretty soon we realized that we were going to have to develop our online existence just like everybody else. And we were very fortunate that the last concert that I conducted in Winston-Salem before everything went dark was filmed. We were going to use the, the film for our own promotional uses, but we realized we had an entire concert available. And so we started to release this section by section of the concert and built this amazing online following more people were listening to our broadcast performances than we could ever hope to get in the Stevens Centre in Winston-Salem. And that was an amazing realisation that we were, we were reaching more people online than we would in person. Now it's not the same, but it gave us great encouragement. And then when the day that Shelter in Place announcement came into action, we realised we had literally three hours in which we could we could make a piece of art. We could film some musicians outside on a rooftop. So I got a call. I'm in London right now. I got a call. Could I make an arrangement of Over the Rainbow? And by the way, we need it in an hour's time. So I did this for a little trio, emailed over the parts. They were recorded, filmed, and that Rainbow Over Winston, as we called it, 
just got tens and tens of thousands of views. And it was a reminder that what we do as artists, as musicians, is needed, is sought after. People want to feel good through music. And that gave us such encouragement. So we started a series called Camera One, which is a, a weekly broadcast of a movement of, of our concerts. And as I say, picked up lots of viewers. And we started to create more online things. Musician Moments was a lovely little series that we've been running individual musicians from the symphony talking about music that means something to them, filmed in their own house, and a lovely little performance as well. Again, some fantastic numbers of people. So with this in mind, we run a series called Symphony Unbound, where we take symphony musicians to places you wouldn't necessarily expect to see classical music, a, a nightclub, a bar, a coffee shop. And we turned Symphony Unbound into Etherbound. That is our new domain, to broadcast into the ether, if you like. And we collaborated with a filmmaker called John Jordan and the Terpsichore Theatre of Dance to create a film of Aaron Copeland's Quiet City, which by its very title is evocative at a time when the city truly was quiet. And the message of that was that we could collaborate and we could make something something truly original, and that has been seen hundreds of thousands of times. And with this confidence, we have come into the new 2021 season sure that we can do meaningful performances, even if they're in an unusual and unexpected way. So this season, we will be running our classics concerts, slightly cut down versions, but from the Stevens Center in Winston-Salem, but they'll be online instead of to a live audience. We'll be creating more etherbound, more online content, and we are collaborating with a huge number of other arts organizations. Uh, Rachel, you asked me the question about half an hour ago. I've just told you all <laughs> of these things, but I think it probably gives you an idea of the invention that has to happen that we are compelled to do just because we're kind of hardwired to sort of solve these problems as i say the show must go on and surely it is i applaud you for a lot of these i think they're really original ideas and do you have any sense of what kind of revenue they can generate for you i know it's you know so different from selling tickets to an actual show it is, and you make a very good point, and arts organizations all around the world are addressing this because Winston-Salem, like pretty much everywhere else, we spent the months up to, say, August giving out content for free, which keeps your audience with you but is no way to run a business um, with the best will in the world. But what we have discovered is there is such loyalty from our patrons and such interest generally in seeing new material that we have created a new way of, of funding this, if you like, uh, called Stage Pass. And our existing subscribers have been unbelievably loyal to us and have stayed with us and continued their subscriptions. And, and they will get Stage Pass as part of that subscription. They will be there um, for all our online performances. They'll get extras. But you don't just have to be a subscriber. And we literally launched this days ago. And already we have dozens and dozens and dozens of people who have signed up for Stage Pass who are not subscribers, who 
want to support the symphony are interested in what we're doing. I mean, it truly is gratifying and heartwarming, and it is not unique to Winston-Salem. All across the world, audiences are showing that they do care, and they do want to be able to pay for original, meaningful content. And thankfully, we are able to do that. And I have to say, our donors, as well as our patrons, have been unbelievably loyal, unbelievably generous to enable us to keep going. Not that it hasn't been tough, not that it won't be, but we can continue. Well, that's heartening to hear. Do you have any sense of, you know, these people who have signed up for Stage Pass who are have not had season tickets in the past, do you have any sense of where they are? Do you think they're mostly around Winston-Salem and the Triad area, or are they actually coming in from across the country, around the world? I'd say primarily, but not exclusively. It's been very, very interesting looking at the data of who has been looking at our content. So it's global and it's certainly national, but it, it spreads over a pretty wide area in North Carolina. But we'd be getting more views than a lot of larger scale organizations per video that we've put out for whatever reason. Somehow you capture people's imaginations and then they want to know more. And through this, I think we are attracting people who aren't necessarily local. And it's a great question. I don't have the exact answer for you right now. As I say, it's really early days. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to tease all that information out too. But absolutely, the price point is pretty good for all of that content, I would yeah, absolutely. say. Absolutely. $75, everything that we're putting out. You know, it's the price of a couple of symphony tickets. And you have to think very carefully about this really carefully. Things are evolving because we are getting really valuable feedback. So I'm in London right now and I'm watching the UK come back to life slowly, slowly, whereas our colleagues in mainland Europe have been giving concerts for, well, weeks and months now and are moving to much larger audiences. We're not there in the US yet, but it's enormously helpful to see what everybody else is doing around the world, how they're dealing with these issues. I mean, we're talking about the tickets and the price point, but we're also thinking about how many musicians can we fit on stage? You know, we've got to be safe. We've got to be separated from each other in a way that you would never normally expect. So all of these things are part of the same conversation. Well, you have some concerts. I was going to ask you about, you know, having people on stage together, because I noticed that you've got live stream concerts coming up October 24th, November 15th, and December 16th. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about actually having musicians in the Stevens Center mm -hmm. at the same time. Are you going to be there? Fingers crossed. No, absolutely. One of the things that has been a challenge, shall we say, is working out, you know, travel logistics and permissions to travel and all of all the rest of it and getting people on stage as well, looking to our colleagues around the world and l looking at the scientific data that is being released regularly and very usefully, as long as we stay six feet plus away from one another and we wear masks and there are certain shields that we can put up as well, it is deemed as safe as going to the grocery store or, or whatever. It's an interesting one to consider just how to be as safe as we can, how to be as close as we can be, not as close as we need to be in an ideal world, and then consider, well, what can we perform in that case? We had a great season planned 
for 2021 and we didn't want to leave it entirely alone so everyone is using this word reimagined and i think it's it's the right one we are reimagining what we're doing and so we were going to be playing haydn symphony number 104 anyway in our opening classics one concert and so we we maintained that but with a much smaller orchestra and this this allows us to consider a number of things. So Haydn is a really interesting case in point. Classical composer living in the 1700s into the 1800s. Well, how big was that orchestra? And the answer, as big as he could get it. So if he could have an orchestra of 100, he had it. If he had an orchestra of 24, that's what he had. We've got an orchestra of 24. Haydn would have understood. He would have approved. He'd have taken more if he could get it. But he knew that his music would work. And finding music that works and that has some kind of resonance with what we were planning to do anyway is how we've been attacking this problem, looking at it from, from every point of view of safety, of musical satisfaction, and of keeping our patrons happy with what we'd promised that we would be doing. So, for example, composer Anna Klein was going to open our season. Well, the piece that we were going to do, we can't. It requires too many musicians. But we found one called Sound and Fury, which quotes some Shakespeare as well as a Haydn symphony, bizarrely. And that works fantastic because I think Sound and Fury is a pretty good representation <laughs> in words of how some of us are feeling musically right now. We need some sound and we're furious that it's not happening. So that's to celebrated and Rossini of course can work with a small orchestra and Quiet City that Aaron Copeland piece Aaron Copeland uh, I mean you know one of the true greats and we'd started 2020 with Fanfare for the Common Man actually and then we recorded Quiet City and so in November we're doing Appalachian Spring which which feels right as well and you know there's a piece of music that was originally designed for 13 instruments but you can also do for a full symphony orchestra and it's challenging as this is it's fascinating to hold everything up under the magnifying glass and, and work out why and how the idea that a piece that could be for the full symphony orchestra also works for 13 instruments is great because it kind of justifies what we're doing and, and it allows us to feel there's some integrity and composer dan locklair who lives in Winston-Salem, um, fantastic composer. His beautiful elegy um, for strings that we were due to, to play anyway, we've managed to keep into this program. And again, this idea that we have living composers being featured in our online concerts is, is really important because that's something we're proud of doing at the Winston-Salem Symphony. Speaking of the science and, and you know the distancing and stuff, my understanding is that it's maybe a little more challenging to have winds uh, performing than strings because of the, I guess they're blowing air, you know, out of their instruments. Um, is that anything that you have to think about? It is. But what's really interesting is we don't know as much as we should. Nothing to do with COVID. It's nobody's ever had to study this before. Now, here's an interesting thing. You think about playing a trumpet and it makes a great deal of noise so surely that shifts lots of air well it doesn't actually what it does is sound waves travel through the air and we hear those if you play a trumpet in front of a candle you can't blow it out it's not some great stream of air there's many feet of tubing which are kind of calming everything down what you hear are the sound waves so 
originally there was a lot of concern about this but then more and more tests have been done in fact there's a study that that was done in the uk about singing and wind playing and we're just waiting we're just waiting for that to be published the one about singing was published in august and it was interesting that singing was deemed exactly the same as speaking in terms of the spread of aerosol mm. volume is something else but actually the act of singing is is not as much as an issue as we were worried about for, for a number of months and so with the wind instruments yes some instruments we have to be a little bit careful about but actually by socially distancing as we would anyway in life and taking other precautions we're pretty sure that it's that it's safe and and as i say orchestras around the world have been doing this now for a number of months and uh, it's it's gratifying to see that there haven't been any problems yeah that is encouraging i don't think i realized that things were back on that scale in europe yet i hadn't heard yeah that. i mean there have been some very interesting developments so norway for example very, very soon got back to singing again, but only with four people in a room and a conductor, you know, spread many, many, many feet apart. And gradually they've added more singers and tested and tested and tested. I, by, by that, I mean measured to, to see what was happening. And from those early experiences, there is enough data that we can do meaningful performances. In many countries, such as Austria and Germany, where there's a great deal of subsidy, where it doesn't matter if there's an audience or, or not, at least not for now, they've been able to be performing for quite a long time. And in fact, Germany is now considering, can they go up to 500 people in an auditorium? One of the arguments is, if you can sit on an aeroplane next to each other, wearing a mask, why can't you sit? six feet apart in a theatre wearing a mask. Not that there's an immediate answer to these questions, but it's right that the questions should be asked because we're always balancing safety over what we want to do in all aspects of life, of course. But right now we're talking about music and how we can get back to the stage. And so safety is key. But yes, in Europe, things are a little bit further ahead. And I've seen some extraordinary things, some extraordinary things of how these problems have been solved. Are there any positives that you expect to come out of this experience? And, and how do you think things will be different once we're through the COVID crisis? I want to be very careful about how I answer that question because I want to acknowledge that the negatives are huge for so many in our business. It's humbling to be reminded what a small cog we are in this big machine that is the arts. This industry that creates countless billions of dollars of income and creates so many countless hours of entertainment and cultural excitement, for want of a better term, if you're a stage manager or a set designer or a wig maker or a makeup artist or any of these people whose jobs is entirely dependent on art being made, these are tough times and it's not going to get better quickly. However, there are opportunities to do things, which is why we are taking them, which is why we're, we're being bold as well as being sensible. And what are the positives? Well, there's been a collaboration in the last few months that I don't think any of us could have imagined. Certainly in my world, in classical music, there has been an honesty in conversations, a lack of front, 
everybody accepting that they're equal. This has been unbelievable. I mean, the number of online forums and interviews and chats that I've witnessed, that I've taken part in, that I've led, people whose lives normally take them to a different country every week of the year are at home. We are all at home wishing we were doing the thing that we've spent our lives training to do and enjoying doing. So one of the positives, perhaps, is that those connections have been strengthened. One of the positives, perhaps, is that people have looked a little bit closer to home to see the talent nearby instead of, and I'm guilty of this, zooming around the world to do things here, here, here and there. What else is positive? It gives us a chance to shine a light on what we do generally, hold a mirror up to ourselves. Are we doing things in the best way? Are we doing things as efficiently as they might be done? Are we adapting to technology as readily as we ought? And technology is something that uh, you know everybody in the world works with all the time. Classical music is not famous for being on the front foot in this. And yet we've all had to adapt. We've had to create online content out of nowhere. We've had to build audiences. We've had to make connections. We had to make mistakes. We've had to learn from them. And I really think that there are things that we've learned in the last few months that we will hold to be very important to build on for sure. It's interesting to hear you say that. I've wondered about that, particularly the digital content and being able to to just reach people in different ways. And I also have to just commend you and, and all the other folks who've had to do this. Pivoting to creating digital content is hard and doing it well is, is tricky. And I've, I've been impressed. I think, I think you've done a great job. Well, that's very kind. Thank you. It gives ever more respect from us to those who, who do shoot films, edit videos, put things together, write code, all of those things that we rely on. Also being forced to do it oneself, either personally or as an organization, it makes you consider a lot of things. Um, I've been involved in a couple of very interesting projects, um, one of which was three contemporary operas that were due to be rehearsed in a theatre, as you might expect. Everything went online, everything was rehearsed. We were in four time zones in five countries. You know, Everybody had a green screen sent to them, had to video themselves in front of that. The filmmaker edited all this together. There was a whole virtual aspect. Learning how all of that happens has been awe-inspiring, truly, and, and I've used the word before, but humbling, just to understand the complexity of things that we are lucky enough to take for granted when we're just enjoying them as a viewer, to really consider how these things are made and, and how we can help one another do that best. Now, I think making digital content is something that many arts organizations, many orchestras have been working on, but we've been forced to sort of accelerate that pace and, and rightly so. And I think it'll benefit us in the long, long run for sure. I bet it will. I bet it'll leave, lead to more innovation. Oh yeah. It'd be great. I want to thank you for your time and let's hope that you're able to fly across the pond in, in time for the October concert, but um, good luck with everything. Thank and you so much. And we'll look forward to all the offerings this season from the Winston-Salem oh, Symphony. Thank you. We do too. 
I've been talking to Timothy Redman, the music director of the Winston-Salem Symphony. And for Piedmont Arts, I'm Rachel Stewart.